beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Catechism, we've been gradually making our way through the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. And next you would expect, you shall not lie. But the Lord does not formulate the Ninth Commandment in that way. He commands, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Why is this commandment formulated in that kind of way? What does it teach us about God? And what does it say about the duties which we owe to our neighbor? If the ninth commandment was, you shall not lie, then we could point to the character of God and say, God is a God of truth. God hates all lying and deceit. These things come from the devil. John 8 verse 44 says that Satan does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. From this we could conclude that if we want to image God, we need to be people who speak the truth. And beloved, that is true. It's part of the teaching of the ninth commandment. Our catechism makes this plain. It tells us to avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works. And it commands us to love the truth and to speak and confess it honestly. Yet there's more to the ninth commandment than this. When we began our study of the commandments in Lord's Day 34, we learned that the commandments can be divided into two parts. The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. That's commandments 1 to 4. And the second teaches us what duties we owe to our neighbor. Commandments 5 through 10. One of the things we need to understand about the ninth commandment is that it very much has our neighbor in view. The commandment is not, you shall not lie. The focus is not on the fact that we need to objectively speak the truth. This commandment is relational. We're told not to bear false witness against our neighbor. The concern of the ninth commandment is on the effect that the words we speak have on others. Words are very powerful. They can be used to encourage, to build up our neighbor. They can also be used to wound or to destroy. As we've worked our way through the commandments, we've been considering what they teach us about who God is. This afternoon, rather than focusing on the fact that the Lord is a God of truth, I want to draw your attention to the fact that we serve a God of peace. A God who wants us to be at peace with Him. And a God who commands us that as much as it depends on us, we are to live at peace with our neighbor. This afternoon we'll consider how the words we speak to and about our neighbor impact our ability to live at peace with God and each other. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. 
As the God of peace, the Lord commands us to defend and promote our neighbor's reputation. We'll consider how, with our tongues, we destroy the peace, how Christ came to restore the peace, and how we are commanded to maintain peace. The ninth commandment has a judicial focus. When the Lord says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, we immediately think of what happens in a court of law. At times we may have seen or heard something our neighbor has done, and we may be called to testify about it in front of a judge. In such circumstances, we are a witness. We're called to tell what has happened, to give evidence about whether or not someone has done something against the law. In such circumstances, the Lord commands us not to be a false witness against our neighbor. The Lord requires us to speak truthfully when we give evidence, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There's a reason for this. On the basis of evidence given by witnesses, a person could be convicted of wrongdoing. He could be found guilty of stealing and be forced to make restitution. He could be found guilty of murder and be stoned to death. When a person is charged with wrongdoing, their guilt or their innocence is determined by what the witnesses say. That's why we're told not to give false testimony against our neighbor. That seems pretty straightforward. But the reality is that there are times when we might be tempted to lie. If a family member or a close friend was charged with wrongdoing, we might be tempted to lie to get them off. If someone who has done us wrong was charged, we might exaggerate what he did to make sure he paid for his crime. Personal friendship or animosity could cause our testimony to be tainted. It's because of this that those who serve as witnesses are required to swear an oath to tell the truth. In Israel, if you're found to be a lying witness, then the punishment that would have come upon the charged person if he was found guilty would come on you. Today, when we swear an oath, we ask God to bear witness to the truth and to punish us if we swear falsely. Here we see the seriousness of this commandment. If we lie about our neighbor in court, we can expect to come under punishment both from the court and from God. Why was the Lord so concerned about the conduct of a witness in court? The Lord God is a just God. He is fair in his dealings with man, and he wants us to be fair in our dealings with our fellow man. The Lord knows that when justice is perverted, things go very bad for us. Think about a time when you were treated unfairly, when injustice was done against you. Did you enjoy that experience? Was it fun to get into trouble for something you didn't do? How do you feel about the person who got you into trouble or who treated you wrongly? Most times such conduct creates feelings of hurt, frustration, anger, resentment, perhaps even hatred, and a desire for revenge. Being a false witness against someone may have severe consequences for that person's life. 
Their name is slandered, their reputation destroyed. They may be convicted of some crime and have to spend time in jail or at least pay a fine. But even if the worst doesn't happen, when you bear false witness, you create a huge wedge in your relationship with the other person. It doesn't just apply in a formal court setting. It applies in the course of normal daily life. When we twist other people's words, when we gossip or slander about them, when we judge them unfairly, we damage, we may even destroy our interpersonal relations. David experienced this in his life. We read from Psalm 35 where David calls on the Lord to deliver him from those who have risen up against him. David begins by calling out to God, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. He says, let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Evil men had risen up against David, even though he had done nothing wrong. Without a cause, they hid a net to trap him. Without a reason, they dug a pit to take his life. Psalm 35 does not specify what the circumstance, what circumstances of David's life were. Perhaps it relates to the time when Saul sought his life after he realized that David had been anointed as the next king of Israel. It's also possible that this relates to the time when Absalom, David's son, rose in revolt against him to take the throne by force. Whatever the precise circumstances were, David feels betrayed by people whom he had treated well in the past. David had shown concern for the affliction of others. He had mourned for others by putting on sackcloth, weeping and fasting. And yet, they repaid him evil for good. Malicious witnesses rose up against him. They spoke false words about him, gnashing at him with their teeth. It's likely that these evil men supported the wrong intentions of those who rose up against David. With their lies, they gave Saul cause to attack David, to take his life. With their wicked words, they supported Absalom in his plot against his own father. As a result, David praised the Lord for help. He prays, how long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. He asked God, saying, Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. Let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not seek peace. But against those who are the quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. No, beloved, the effect of the words David's enemies spoke against him. They broke down peace between brothers in the land. These people devised words of deceit against David. They claimed to see wrong things he had done, but they were actually telling lies. And the result was that David was deeply hurt. He could not understand 
how or why people would act maliciously against him when he had been their friend. Their words caused David much distress. They even threatened his life. For with their false testimony, people incited others against David. The same things can happen to us, beloved. We can be deeply hurt by the words that others speak about us. It happens so easily. You see or hear something and you interpret it in a certain way. You speak of your experience to others. In the process, you gossip about your neighbor. You pass on unverified facts about him and you allow others to draw their own conclusions. Perhaps in your heart, you're jealous of another person or angry with them because of something they've done. Then the temptation is there to slander your neighbor by saying something untrue about him or her. Yet by speaking in a negative manner, you've sinned against the ninth commandment. You've said things that break down your neighbor's honor or reputation. Beloved, we sometimes underestimate the seriousness of these sins. Generally, when you gossip about someone or slander their name, word gets back to them. Someone somewhere will ask the person a question or make a comment about what they've heard. And then the hurt begins. We're hurt by the fact that others speak about us in a degrading way. Often we can trace back what was said to its source. We feel betrayed by someone who shared personal details about our life with others. We feel like we're under attack because others are spreading lies about me. They're looking down on me. They're judging me unfairly. These things happen among us regularly. Our human nature is such that we tend to say bad things rather than good things. Our reading from James 3 makes clear the power of the tongue. Just like a bit is able to control a horse, and a small rudder is able to guide a large ship driven by the wind. So the tongue is a small member capable of great things. The tongue is like a small spark that sets the whole forest on fire, it corrupts the whole body, it sets the whole course of one's life on fire. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. We, beloved, are the redeemed people of God. Christ renews us more and more by the power of his Spirit. And yet, we struggle to control how we speak. Too often our words are degrading and hurtful. By our gossip, slander, critical speech, harsh words, insults, ridicule, and sarcasm, we tear down those around us. Our words cause deep hurt, a breakdown of trust, even hatred and anger and resentment. These things destroy peace in our relationships. 
brings us to our second point in that we consider how Christ came to restore the peace. In many ways, the scriptures show how David was a forerunner of the Christ. In David's position as the Lord's anointed king, he was often maligned and slandered. These same things happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jewish leaders had it in for Christ. They opposed the things Jesus said and did. They tried to trap him in his words. They maliciously charged him with many wrong things because they were envious of the attention that the people gave to the Lord Jesus. Jesus knew of the opposition of the religious leaders against him. In Mark 10, verse 34, Jesus quoted from Psalm 35 to forewarn his disciples of how they would mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. In John 15, 25, Jesus made it clear that their opposition was undeserved. Quoting from Psalm 35, Jesus said, They hated me without a cause. Even though the Lord Jesus had never done anything against the Jewish leaders, their envy and jealousy prompted them to viciously attack Jesus with their words. Matthew 26, verse 60 shows how like David, Jesus had false witnesses rise up against him after the Jewish leaders arrested him. Yet their plan did not work because no two witnesses brought the same false testimony against him. In the end, the Jewish leaders had no reason to condemn Jesus and to put him to death. It was in that situation that the high priest put Jesus under oath and said to him, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus was not afraid to testify to the truth, even though he knew it would cost him his life. He said, you have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus was charged with blasphemy and condemned to death. Jesus suffered much on the way to the cross. While the Jewish leaders had charge of him, some spit in his face and struck him. Some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who was it that struck you? The Jewish leaders delivered Jesus over to Pilate, the Roman governor. And although Pilate tried to have Jesus released, the Jewish leaders stirred up the crowds so that they called out, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus, who had loved the people with all his heart, who had healed them of their diseases, was cruelly attacked without cause. Later, when Pilate had delivered Jesus to be crucified, the soldiers stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and put a crown of thorns on his head. And again, with words, Jesus was attacked. They knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! This continued while Jesus was hung on the cross. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. They said, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. 
So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. The robbers who were crucified with Jesus also reviled him in the same way. So why did Jesus put up with all this cruelty? He could have told the soldiers beating him who it was that hit him. He could have come down from the cross and showed that he truly was the promised Messiah. But Jesus didn't do that. He patiently bore all the abuse heaped on him. He suffered the malicious attacks of many against him. And Jesus did that for a specific purpose. To bear the burden of God's wrath against all our sins. To pay the price to redeem us. To cover all the sins that we commit with our mouths. So that we could be forgiven our wrongdoing and be reconciled with God. Jesus suffered and died to restore us to peace with God. Out of thankfulness for that wondrous redemption, Christ has worked for us. We're now called to live according to his commandments. Also the ninth commandment. God forbids us to bear false witness against our neighbor. This commandment teaches us to be careful about the words that come from our mouth. They have much power to break down and destroy. But God wants us to do the opposite. To live at peace together. We're called to do what we can to defend and promote our neighbor's honor and reputation. We'll deal with this in our final point, And it will consider how we are commanded to maintain the peace. By redeeming us from our sins and restoring us to God, Jesus made it possible for us to live in wholesome relationships together. Not just with God, but also with each other. The Lord has come to live in us with his Holy Spirit to renew us more and more so that we might image God. We read from James 3 about how no human being can tame the tongue, how it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's true. We of ourselves cannot control what comes out of our mouths. But the Spirit of God can. The Spirit changes us from the inside out. He renews our hearts. The fruit of the Spirit includes love, peace, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Love does not say bad things about our neighbor. Instead of knocking him down, it builds him up. Peace is all about wholesome and fruitful relationships together. To maintain peace, we will not gossip or slander about our neighbor. And what others do will stick up for him or her. When someone rashly judges or condemns our brother or sister, 
will refuse to join in without having heard their side of the story. Kindness and goodness are manifest in speaking encouraging words to our neighbor and seeing the good in him or her so we can build up his or her reputation with others. Self-control is learning to bridle our tongue. James speaks about how with the same mouth we bless the Lord and Father and curse people who are made in the image of God. It's especially when our heart is filled with envy or anger or resentment against another that we need to learn to bite our tongue. It's better to say nothing than to mouth off negative things about our neighbor. Beloved, God has given us his spirit to help us in these things. We need to learn to speak positively rather than negatively. To encourage those around us instead of discouraging them. Words have great power. There's that saying that says sticks and stones can break my bones but words will never hurt me. It's simply not true. We care about what others think about us. Our heart's desire is to live in wholesome relationships together. It applies in family life. It applies in our work situation and at school. It applies in church life too. Words can be used to build up or to destroy. What's the pattern of your life? Do your words build others up? Or do they hurt and degrade those around you? James 3.13 asks, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And then James goes on to call us to be peacemakers. God is a God of peace. We're called to image him in our lives. Let us strive to maintain the peace Christ has earned for us. By the power of the Spirit, we can guard our mouths and keep watch over the doorway of our lips so we don't speak life-destroying words. Instead, we can use our tongues for good to edify and build up the name and reputation of our neighbor. This not only shows forth our thankfulness for God's grace in saving us from our sins, it also helps us to live together in love and unity with one another. Amen.